The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Joey, what was the first thing that you can remember trying to sell as a kid? First thing that I was trying to sell? I remember in in like baseball seasons, we would sell candy bars. And it wasn't like Snickers or like those type of name brand things. It was like these... I don't know if you remember this. There was like, they came in a big box and you had a handle on it. And and they were like these silver or gold wrappers with a white wrapper around it. And it, it was like a no name, but I, like remember, a, I had to sell like, like a, a suitcase of these things. Like a hundred grand or thousand grand. What was the name of that bar? It was, didn't even have a, a name. It was just like chocolate bar with almonds or with nuts or without nuts. I mean, I was like, <laughs> that was all it was, but I had to sell like a truckload just to buy my uniform or whatever it was. I I don't remember what the purpose was, but it was something to do with baseball. All right. Well, my son, Ryan, right now has got the sales fever. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, he's decided he gets this little Lego magazine and he wants to be able to buy the Legos from it. And so he's been saving his money and he's gotten super motivated now to get the things that he wants. So he wants to sell things. So he got this little thing the other day in the mail that allowed him to build a jelly bean dispenser. So he goes and finds jelly beans that Megan has hidden up in the schoolroom for them whenever they do something good. You know, they get a little thing. And she, he's filled up his little jelly bean dispenser, and he's walking around and says, uh, jelly bean for 10 cents or 10 for a dollar? And he's all over people with them. So then he then he finds, like, this this pack of Fun Dip. You remember Fun Dip from a kid? Oh, a kid? also baseball days, Yes. I mean, who didn't like just straight sugar walking around with like blue lips and a red yeah. tongue? Straight sugar with a sugar stick. Exactly. You could, I mean, it's just double sugar. So he, he takes this down the other day to my mom's house. We're down there. My sister's there. And he says, uh, hey, Auntie Tara, you want to buy one of these for $4? <laughs> Fun dip. Yeah, like this is not even like the big like triple pack version. This is the single sample pack. No. Right? that you get for maybe 25 cents. He's trying to sell it for four bucks. And she's like, uh, no, I'm sorry. I don't really want that. He goes, yeah, let's go ahead and buy it. And you can, you can sell it to one of your sons when you get home. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, Ryan, thank you for offering. I, I just doesn't want, I just don't think I need it. He goes, who cares if you need it? It's four bucks. Come on, four bucks. I'll give it to you. You're going to love it. You know, like, He's got like the pressure sales tactic down. He's like pushing, pushing, pushing. He's trying to throw in a little bit of logic in there. He's like, look, you can take this. You can sell it for five bucks to your son. You can make a dollar in this deal. No, we can make a transaction happen. I love this. Yeah. So he couldn't sell it and he's frustrated because he really needed $2. But Megan had told him that he was going to have to have tax, which he was really pissed off about. He, oh. he didn't understand why he was going to have to pay someone tax on 
the Legos that he was going to buy because he needed $29 to buy the Lego, but she's saying, no, you're going to need at least another $2 for taxes on top of that. So that's the reason he was trying to sell it for four. He only needed two. But later on in the day, he's trying to, uh, you know, work this deal with me. He says, Dad, I've already figured this thing out. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna put my $27 down, and you're going to put $2 down, and that's going to allow us to buy it. And it's going to be a good deal for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> it moved on from me giving him $2 to you're going to go ahead and put your $2 in. I'm going to put my $27 in. You see, I'm doing the heavy lifting in this situation. <laughs> And because of that, it's a good deal, man. So what what was it? What was in it for you? I, I was going to get to watch him build it and even participate in some of the playing, and it's it's a good deal, right? I mean, this is what we're trying to figure out. This is what money's about. You got to understand the value of money, which is what today's podcast is about. No it's not about Legos, not about fun dip. It's not about selling. It's about understanding the value of money and. I've been trying to help him understand the value of money, and that's the reason why he's trying to figure out ways that he can trade other things of value for money. And I'm, I love the concept of we kind of tying this back to how do we learn at a young age the value of money? How do we understand that money has a cost and that that cost of money it has to be accounted for in all things? Yeah, and I love the fact that uh, we covered this I wish I'd been Ryan's age when I learned this, to be honest with you. But it took me, as you know, multiple times reading this in Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. If you've never read it, go out and get you a copy. We actually have a link on our website, wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash infinite banking. Go there. You can buy the book. Uh, but, man, what a uh, a simple concept, but one that so few people understand, especially in the business community. And you, you and I, we talked about this in the show but uh, plenty of opportunities that people uh, made mistakes with money because they didn't take this into consideration. Well, you have to understand the real rules of money in order to win the game. And this little simple concept, which has far-reaching implications to the success of people actually getting to their goals and getting there faster, because there's so many roadblocks, there's so many obstacles, there's so many hazards in this road of finance that we just haven't been taught. And I think today's concept, as you listen to this podcast, you will see what importance EVA has. Like what does EVA even stand for? Why should I evaluate it and account for it and everything that I do? And then hopefully maybe you can share this with your kids as I share the value of money with mine. And I started teaching Ryan. I said, by the way, the, the fun dev, I know that you struggled to sell that, which, by the way, a little bit after the fact, he ended up consuming the fun dip, which is probably not shocker for an eight-year-old. But I told him, you, which you learned a valuable lesson today, Ryan, that consumers are the ones who set the price. You can, you can try to set value and you can um, posture a little bit, but ultimately what they're willing to pay is what the true cost is. But what they don't understand is what the cost of their dollar is if they do buy it. And you can learn that now at eight years old. And you can determine whether or not it's really important for you to spend your $27 to buy this Lego and what value or what expense will that have over your lifetime. So if you're interested in what EVA is and how you can apply this to your life and even potentially share this with kids, belly up with us as we jump into this interview.
Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the IBC Roundtable, where every week we go deep into your favorite subject, the infinite banking concept. I am one of your co-hosts, the idea guy, Russ Morgan. I'm sitting next to my other co-host, the Italian stallion, Mr. Joey Murray. What's up, Joey? Happy to be here. Another great day to talk about a fantastic subject matter. Well, what the heck is EVA? That's what I hope we're going to talk about today. And that's the topic. Let's and do it. It's a it's another way for us to get another acronym, I think, into our conversation. Uh, we need more. IBC, EVA, MEC, ABC with the BBD. One, two, three. <laughs> All right. So every single week, though, we get a chance to sit around the table with the best coaches in the infinite banking concept. And I want to introduce you to them as we speak now. I got the man I like to refer to as the Indiana Jones of finance, downtown Ernie Brown. What's up, Ernie? Hey, Russ. Good to see you. Good to see you. You ready to talk about EVA? Yes, I think this is so important. This is what you told me before. It kind of got me a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which I love this. I do think it's the most important because a few weeks ago we were talking about what was maybe the most vital subject for someone to understand within the infinite banking concept. And I said EVA is my number one. You guys were stuck on the clones. I know you thought that. Whatever supports your opinion, I think I think we should cover. Yeah. All right. Across the table from <laughs> us, we got the resident pilot. Mark, the Gooch, Haraguchi. What's up, Mark? Not uh, much, guys. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. Good to see you, man. Uh, still between two ferns, I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. Uh, and surprisingly, they they do really well without water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's that Northwest air you get. <laughs> yeah. All right. And last but not least, the Million Dollar Smile, Mr. Incredible, J.D. Hill. What's up, J.D.? Hey, 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 how is, uh, how's the weather in beautiful Birmingham, Alabama? Now we, we even opened the windows today because it, it just, well, we didn't open the windows. We just opened the blinds actually, but it, it's beautiful. They don't, they don't give us the ability to open the windows in here. They feel like they, they just gave us the ability to open the curtains. Yeah. No, they, don't, they don't give you the ability to open the windows in prison either. So no, uh, no, no, they don't. <laughs> No, they don't. All how right. Do, so guys, you know that? <laughs> what, what the heck is EVA and how does it apply to IBC? That's the conversation. Yeah. I think uh, maybe we should explain what it is first and then apply it. All right, Stallion, you're up. Go. Well, EVA is all about, in my opinion, EVA is how to quantify opportunity cost. Okay. So EVA stands for? economic value add and you think that economic value add is summarized by opportunity costs that's what i mean just to keep it simple that's what i would say to I calculate. that's pretty good it's pretty good it, how, would, how would you say it well in the book right nelson ash is like reading from an article that came out of forbes magazine and he was uh, reading this article and inside of it it was detailing how a management company, Stern Stewart's and Associates, was teaching 
this, uh, this management principle of how to value cash, which again, the opposite side of not valuing cash is saying, what is the opportunity cost on that? that cash? You're giving up. Yeah. He was teaching the, this, this management company consulting group was teaching major businesses like Coca-Cola, Briggs and Stratton, uh, CSX railroad, how to value their dollars. And I think that when Nelson says that when you understand this one principle, you understand everything about how important infinite banking is to your life. 100%. All right. So what do you think? Um, so as I talk to, uh, look at this, JD, what, what is EVA to you? I mean, I, I don't know if there's, I mean, cause it's such a, a technical term, right? And, and so I, I think just to overly simplify it again, it's just, it's, it's a way to, to calculate or quantify, if you will, basically like, like what is the value of this transaction that I'm about to make? Yeah, I, I would say kind of, I always look at it. Like if I'm paying off a debt, for instance, that's a very easy one that a lot of people get focused on of when they're thinking about um, what do I do with my money? The first thing they think about is paying off a debt. And so we would say, well, when implementing AVA into our life, we would have to say, what's the alternative to paying off that debt, right? Should I pay off which debt should I pay off first, which would be the one I should prioritize? Or if I don't pay off this debt, what could I earn on the money? Ernie, what does EVA mean to you? For me, just simply understanding, learning, and earning more or receiving more than the cost of your capital. Any way you would expound on that? Well, to Russ's example of paying off debt, I think we oftentimes look at the interest rate and which is fine. It's not necessarily the worst thing where we could be evaluating the cash flow. What is the payment that I'm making away from me? And I think a way to apply EVA is what is it worth to be able to bring that cash flow back to me as it relates to can I on the equal and opposite side take those same dollars to pay off a debt? and go create an asset that creates an equal to or larger cash flow, then I should do that. That's applying EVA. That's earning more than the cost of your capital. Can I, I'm going to jump in just when I first read this, I shared this with you guys ahead of time, but when I first read this, it didn't resonate with me. The concept of EVA. Yeah. To me, it was over my head. I kind of just glossed over it, moved on. And what I would say from a personal standpoint is before understanding infinite banking and, and eventually understanding what EVA even meant, it was really like, in my mind, it was a no brainer what I should do with my cash, right? It was, I, cause if you think about before understanding about passive income, before understanding about the fact that you could have money in a location that grew from now until my death uninterrupted, I didn't know that that existed. So in my mind, it was just like cash goes into my bank account. I can either use that to stay out of debt and not pay interest, or it's just going to sit, you know, vacant in my checking account. It was just like, oh, with no brainer, I'm going to pay off a of debt or I'm going to stay out of debt. And that was really the only value that I put on cash. But then when I understood that, no, 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 wait, that money could be growing at three to 5% for the rest of my life compounding. All of a sudden I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like the cost of this vacation 
or this car or this fill in the blank, like that's a huge expense to me if it could have earned 4% for the rest of my life. No, like that's, that's nuts. That's huge. Mark, what's your thoughts on this? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just really disappointed that you guys took this so low level because really, you know, EVA, if, if we're going to talk acronyms, EVA can be broken down with uh, the DIMS check, D-I-M-S. So if you've got your pen and paper, go ahead and write this down because this is super high level for you. Uh, DIMS check is, does it make sense? There you go. Um, so that's EVA. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, guys. So, so, so for me, like my, my recent example of an EVA type example would be when I bought my truck, right? So I have the option to a use cash B, you know, borrow someone else's money, you know, or C I can, you know, not buy the truck. And it's like, well, if I use the cash, well, that money is done once. Okay. If I use their money, okay, well, I've got to pay interest on that. But wait a minute, if I use cash value and buy the truck, okay, well, that does one thing, but how could I make this more, more valuable to me? How could I make it make more sense? Well, what if I could take that cash value, go put it into an income producing asset, have that income producing asset create enough cash flow to not only pay back that loan, but pay for the loan that I would get for the truck. So now to me, that's the economic value add. I found a way in that one example for me to accomplish what I wanted to do, not only get a truck, but get an income producing asset that's gonna pay for it, pay back, keep my systems moving forward. So you gotta do three things. You gotta earning interest and dividends in the policy. You got a truck out of the deal and you produced an income producing asset with it. I'm a slave driver to those dollars. They need to get out there and work. <laughs> I love that, man. I hate some lazy dollars. Like, get up dollars. Go do some work. Well, in the in the article that Nelson Nash, I think I accidentally misspoke a second. I said Forbes article. It's actually a Fortune, Fortune magazine article. And the article is entitled The Real Key to Creating Wealth by Sean Tully. And in there, he has a, a phrase, if you know what is happening, you'll know what to do. Right. If you know that it costs money, your 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 capital has a cost, then you'll know what to do. Now, Joey and I were recently doing a, a talk to the land geek community. We've been invited in every quarter. They have a boot camp. If you're not a member of the land geek community, I highly encourage you to do that. It's something you probably hear Joey and I talk about. We have a land flipping business. We bring in almost four thousand dollars a month net just from that business alone. So, so head over to the land geek, check them out. Highly encourage you. I, I love what they're doing. And in our talk there, Joey, we were, we were going through and we showed what true opportunity opportunity cost looks like. And in right. consideration to what Mark just said, he was talking about a vehicle purchase, right? And for those of you who are not on this live, you're not going to get to see this slide. So you're going to have to join the inner circle. You sure. How, do, how does someone join the inner circle, Ernie? They can go simply to wealth without Wall Street forward slash inner circle. Very easy. And being a part of that, you not only get to uh, participate in our live discussion, but also what you get to see is like the behind the scenes. You get to be a part of the group call that's happening. So in this example, Joey, that we were doing at the boot camp, we, we said, okay, let's just say you invested $25,000 into your 
land flipping business. And this land flipping business, I mean, what we're normally seeing happen, people make 100 to 300% returns on their money, right? That's right. So we use an example of a $25,000 uh, investment into the business one time and making 20% every single year over 25 years. That account, 25,000 growing at 20% inside the business would be how much worth how much in 25 years? 2.384 million. So 2,384,000. Okay. All right. Perfect. Now to your point, Mark, we said, all right, well, what if we decided that we were going to buy a car, buy a truck, and this truck was going to cost us $20,000. I mean, Hey, look, we've been so uh, diligent in a business. We're creating this asset and we buy uh, this $20,000 car in year five. We, we should be able to afford to do that. Let's just pay cash, right? What does it really cost us? It just costs us the 20 grand. Instead of having the 2.384, we got 2.364, right? Not true. Well, Joey, what impact did taking $20,000 out of the account for 20 years at 20%, how much, how much impact did that have on the account? It ended up at 1.4 million. So it was a $920,000 car purchase, not a $20,000 car purchase. Yeah, that one hurts. That's one of those, you know, like in Dumb and Dumber when they they, they have the, the Lamborghini IOU, they're like, you might want to hold on to this one. <laughs> right? Exactly. I don't know many people that's made a $920,000 mistake and felt good about it. Yeah, not today. And, and this is really uh, the the visual of opportunity cost. Joe, you have an amazing saying that I think is an original. As it relates to opportunity costs, I'm, will, I'm willing to claim it as original. Drop it, whether on it us. is or not. Drop it on us. Opportunity cost is the biggest expense that you never got a bill for. Ooh. Oh. Well, when you think about that, that's the person who would have taken the twenty thousand dollars out of that account, right? You know, like, hey, look, I, I had I had a bunch of money in there. I had enough to to buy the twenty thousand dollar car. I knew what my business was going to grow to. Not a big issue they would have never known that $20,000 cash purchase cost them $920,000 over the life, would they? No. Because they wouldn't have gotten the bill for it. But did it exist? 100%. And that's what the part that Nelson's saying here is that if you get this, I think he says right here toward the end, he says, EVA's basic premise is if you know what's really happening, you'll know what to do. And the same thing applies to the infinite banking concept. Okay. I've heard enough about infinite banking. I'm pretty sure it's a fit for me and my family, Russ. How do I get started? Let's take that pretty sure and make it darn sure. The reason you do that is that you get clarity, Joe. You need to get on a 15-minute call with one of our coaches at wealthwellstreet.com forward slash free call. Then you'll know where you're starting from and where you're headed. And only then can you implement the infinite banking process. All right. So go to wealthwellstreet.com forward slash free call to get that 15 minute conversation, gain clarity. But now let's jump back into today's episode. When you hear that, JD, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah, for me, I, I think, look, we're not taught by and large how to actually understand and look at our finances from the correct point of view. And I say that because like I started in the big box financial planning world, like that's what I came out of. I was trained under that model. Um, and, and so what we're taught to look at is how much interest am I paying? That's right. Right. And, and when you think about like 
all those types of things, what we're taught to do, to me, what comes to mind is, you know, and this is, this is not necessarily new to me, but is, is, you know, what I would say is like the four rules of, of money or rather the, the rules of the game, if you will. And what I mean by that is, is that once you understand, and I think it was even uh, Kiyosaki wrote this in a, in a blog post one time, he said that savers are losers. Right. And he was talking about this idea that people don't understand the rules of the game. And if you don't understand the rules of the game, how can you ever win the game? And, and there's basically four basic rules that once you understand, I think it really helps to kind of put things in proper context. And so high level, it's, you know, they, they big corporations and government, right, is that they, they want your money, which that's obvious, right? <laughs> and they make and manufacture products to, to get your money, but they want your money. And number two is, is how do they want it? Right. They want it every single month on auto draft. And I, I can't tell you how many auto drafts that I have right now, but it's candidly, it's too many. Um, and that's a lot because my wife loves to shop. Right. And she, <laughs> God bless her. Right. But we have a lot of auto drafts, but they want it automatically every single month. Right. Systematically. The number two or three, and this is really crucial is how long do they want that money? As long as you'll give it to them. As long as I'll give it to them. Right. They want it over a long period of time. And the last one, and this is really the kicker, and that is that they want to give as little back to you as possible or make it really hard to get. And so when you understand the way that, that institutions make particular products in light of those rules, right, they're designed to, 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 to market in such a way to teach you not to pay attention on what's going on behind the screen or what's going on behind the curtain. When you said that, it, it made me think back. I, I heard a guy say this a long time ago. He was talking about the rules of the game. And he gave this simple example, Ernie. He said, look, you remember playing tic-tac-toe, right? And we all would agree that tic-tac-toe is a simple game. I mean, I play it with my eight-year-old, Ryan. And he said, but think back to the first time you played it. Did you win? <laughs> no. Yeah, you probably don't chance. remember, but you know you <laughs> didn't, right? Who, whoever was playing the game with you was teaching you uh, by you learning, by you losing. That's right. <laughs> what you ultimately figured out is that they kept wanting to go first and they kept trying to get into the corners, right? If they could get three out of the four corners, they had you. Right? That's right. And, and we kept playing this game over and over and over as kids until we learned those rules, till we learned that we needed to go first, until we learned that we needed to be able to capture those corners first to have the highest percentage chance to win. Well, the, and the first thing I heard when JD was going through those rules, like you're talking about was I was like, this is exactly what's going on literally right now. And I don't want to like date this per se, but what the, the, the curtain has been pulled back. If you ever thought wall street was a game that you could win, you're wrong right? It's clear that you're wrong. It's rigged. In fact, I've had multiple conversations with people ever since this whole GameStop fiasco, the, the Wall Street Bets group on Reddit all kind of joins together and they say, man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give it back to Wall Street, these hedge funds. Hedge funds going to short that stock. They go all in and they push that stock up and they look like they're going to win. And what happens? All the, the actual platforms that you can trade on quit allowing them to trade well wonder why that is if it's a game that i can win how could they be stepping in front of me and saying no 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 no. this is to protect you but the funny part about that too is is if 
if it, all the stocks and the investments out there were sound investments and they're based upon the fundamental values of the company, how can a company that's virtually going out of business shut up, had closed 700 stores be worth more than Tesla? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, so my point, like the first thing I think of is that's a game that someone else has the rules and you're not it and they can change them at any time. So quit playing. If you know what's really going on, quit playing the game. That's, that's the first thing I thought of. What about you, Ernie? Well, the, the question is when you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. What does yeah. that make you think you uh, make, make you think of for me, this is, <laughs> this is a much less, you know, that's a great example of what we just saw. <laughs> I'm fired up over here. This Ernie, is also on. a great example, but in a different context. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, at our our small group couples Christmas party, we get together and we were going to play a game. Games are fun fun to do, so we sat around in a non socially distanced circle. <laughs> <laughs> this past year, when we played a game where somebody is going to be in the middle, but that person goes out of the room, and we make up a rule: the guy or girl comes back to the middle, has to ask people who are sitting around a question, and when that question is asked, there's some sort of a trigger. And the idea is person in the middle asks questions and gets answers and then has to figure out whatever that trigger is. So for example, you get asked a question and every time the person who you ask that to answers, maybe the trigger is they touch their ear or they cross their fingers or something. So we played this one time and I thought, all right, we're about to step this up. So I created the rule that when a question is asked, the answer must be in four words. <laughs> which sounds fun. <laughs> the guy in the middle is trying to figure out what, what is going on, ask the question. And basically everybody's asking is having the hardest and funniest time figuring out a four-word answer. So I think about that and that is really frustrating for him. It took, for, took him forever. <laughs> I felt bad, <laughs> but he didn't know the rules to the game and he was trying to figure out what they were. Yeah. In, until you learn what those rules are, you keep playing and you keep losing. And I think we see that in GameStop. We see that in your a non socially distanced uh, awkward game that you're playing um and also you can see it in tic-tac-toe right it, that that happens what about you mark any, any uh, weird stories that you can share with us that, that come to mind i'll just uh did, you know first but before i jump into that i, I was just thinking did, did, did anyone else catch the the war games reference there of tic-tac-toe and not getting into the game because the Womper machine had to run through, Joshua had to run through tic-tac-toe to realize the only way to win is not to play. <laughs> so mm. I, did not, I did not catch it. That, that no. But no, <laughs> uh, when, when, when I think about knowing what's happening in order to you know, know what to do, I think of like surfing. You know, if, if, if I just give you a surfboard and say, you know, come to Hawaii, give you a surfboard, say there's waves, go for it, have fun. Um, you're, you're going to have no idea what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go. But when you're out there and you're surfing and you finally figure out, hey, you know, what are the, what's the tide doing? What are the swells doing? Where's the reef at? Where do I want to be? When you figure that out, all of a sudden you notice guys and gals when they surf, they'll do a couple paddles and they're on the wave and they're going because they've figured out what's going on and where to be so they can do the minimum effort to get on that wave and have the most amount of fun. Whereas other people spend their whole day, um, I'm not gonna say who, but just kind of like floundering around on the board, kind of like a, a beached whale in water, if you will. Oh my goodness, <laughs> dude, are you calling me a whale? <laughs> 
Well, if I let you take me uh, on a surfing lesson again. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, let's. So we've talked a little bit about what the heck EVA is. The second part of that discussion today was supposed to be, well, how does this apply to infinite banking? So, Ern, what's your, how does it apply to infinite banking? Yeah, really simple. And that when we implement infinite banking and put cash in life insurance policies and build access to cash value, that inherently forces us to consider EVA. Okay. If we what didn't, if we didn't do this, we'd have cash and probably checking accounts, savings accounts, and we could flush that cash, take withdrawals and go put it out there. And we don't consider that 900 something thousand dollar expense. But when it is in an insurance policy, and we know that we're taking a loan from the insurance company, and there's loan interest associated with that, it forces us to stop and consider if there's something better for me to do with that cash, or if I even need the thing that I'm going to buy in the first place. I I do love Mm. what you said there, because we spend money out of savings accounts, and there's no accounting to that. Right. There's no person at the bank going, hey, by the way, you uh, last year you spent thirty seven thousand four hundred and thirty two dollars out of your savings account. You might want to put that back. Exactly. There's no conversation about that. It's just gone. No, the conversation that is had is that you need to carry around paper money and use cash. Cut up the credit cards, use cash. You're going to feel it. Well, that might work on the month to month basis. But there's never coming back and considering what's the long-term impact of using the cash. No doubt. All those dollars are gone. There's, they're not traceable. Well, what, what would you say about tie this to business? And Russ, I remember you telling me stories of like dentists that you knew that just had money and they just made decisions with it. And typically, and I would say this is even driven home by the accountants that we work with, right? We get to the end of the year, we have money sitting in retained earnings. And what does the accountant say? Oh, you need to go buy something. Is there something you can buy? Yeah. Do you need to buy something? You need to get rid of it right now. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay tax on it. And what does that do? It just compounds the fact that people make poor decisions. But how would you tie that to EVA? Well, I say it it helps you avoid bad deals. And I I just remember, and I've said this over and over, but it's just the most vivid example where I knew this dentist. They had been accumulating a lot of money in their checking business checking account one because they thought if they they took it out of the business checking account they paid they would pay taxes but they didn't realize that they were actually the kind of business that they paid taxes as soon as they made the profit it didn't matter when they took it out but also they they were given that end of the year kind of example like hey by the way you're going to show a pretty good profit this year uh, if you can think of something that you want to buy you, you might want to go do it well they were like oh okay well i'm going to buy this machine it's called a Ceric machine the Ceric machine would allow them to be able to do crowns in the office within an hour. Now, that's an amazing tool, by the way. The fact that most people would go get this an impression done, come have uh, the assistant make you this fake tooth that is going to uh, 95% come off in the two weeks that you're waiting for your real tooth to come back. And then when you come back, they're going to try to put the tooth on you that the lab has made. And my wife would tell me about 25% of the time that didn't fit <laughs> or it wasn't the right color and they have to send it back. So now here you are running around town with a fake tooth in your mouth. That's probably going to come out and you don't want to eat anything that that's going to leave you looking, you know, like a hockey player, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so here this dentist is and, and they, they have a hundred thousand dollars. It's a really expensive machine. And they go, Oh, this will be awesome. We'll, we'll take this hundred thousand dollars. We'll buy this and we'll start producing more crowns. 
I save on taxes and I make money. Exactly. The thing that they didn't look at is how many crowns do they normally do in a given month that fit the model that this one would actually work for. And so when it all was said and done, a couple of years goes by and and they're looking down and they're saying, man, I'm only bringing in a couple more crowns a month than I was doing because of this. And they never considered the cost to that. And I said, like, well, let me ask you, if you were to have borrowed $100,000 from the dental manufacturer to buy this machine, they've given you a five-year loan, your monthly payment would have been $2,000 to $2,500 a month, right? Mm-hmm. To pay that thing back, somewhere in that range. Do you think that you've made more than that in profit? And when they started adding it up, they're like, oh, no, not even close. I was like, if you would have had that math in front of you from the very beginning, would you have bought it? And they're like, oh, no. Because they would have gone and tried to figure out how much revenue would they actually create as opposed to it was – I, I spend cash, I get money. And so I make money as opposed to they really were going backwards because had they had a hundred thousand dollar loan, they would have never did the deal. And so I think that that's a real evident thing. What about for you, Joey? Well, I, I, Mark was actually mentioned something beforehand that I felt like really tied this together with infinite banking. Well, for me, it's, it, if I can recognize how banks make money, and if it's profitable for a bank to do that, well, then why wouldn't I want to bring that in myself, right? I mean, unlike, well, I guess kind of similar to the, the dentist story, you know, why would I ship out outsourcing crowns if I can do it in-house? Well, we got to run the numbers, right? And when we run the numbers, now we actually see there's only one reason banks lend money, because they do well by it. They make a lot of money doing it. So if I can capitalize on that, internalize that into my own system and recapture that internal growth, that profit, now I am fueling my own system that much further. So that's how I kind of tie that one in with the infinite banking concept is recognizing the value of what some of those other actions would be. Well, JD, as we start to end, like any more thoughts that you would share on what the heck EVA is and how it applies to IBC? I mean, it's hard to follow such great sound advice coming from from you four. <laughs> uh, I, I would just just to, to add to to all of this is that I think one of the things that's fascinating is for for you know the the amount of time that I've been doing this. One of the things that it it has forced us to do is, is a lot of what Ernie has has touched on is once I have a policy and I, and I know that I have this policy for banking purposes. I process every single financial decision from the perspective of, should I use my policy or not? Should I use my policy or not? Like, I can't tell you how many times I get an email or a text message or a phone call from someone asking me, Hey man, I got this deal. Should I use my policy? And it's, it's amazing because outside of that, you don't think about that. You think I've got the money in the bank. I'm just going to go do the deal. But, but what having IBC does is it now forces you to Ernie's point to now start to evaluate these financial decisions in light of what am I going to make or what am I going to lose, right? What am I going to gain or what am I going to give up depending on how I want to fund this particular transaction? And I just think that's that's such a valuable thing when it comes to how we look at our finances because outside of that, we make them somewhat uh, sheeplessly, if you will. How about you, Ern? Any final parting thoughts? Well, just to echo the echo of JD's echo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that that just, that makes me think when when I because that is true. People do ask us that all the time. Hey, I've got this. I've got this deal coming up, or I've got this expense. Should I use my policy or should I use cash? And I'll be honest, my reaction has been probably lack of patience. I'm like, I feel like you should be able to answer this for yourself. <laughs> Didn't we talk about these things? But to JD's point, I'm so glad that people are getting in that position in the first place. Yeah. So thinking about that, I'm so glad that we're helping people be able to ask that question. I would say too, here was the, this is what I'm going to end on astounding. If you have anything, I'll let you finish. But I, I remember like the initial part was, I know I need to set up these insurance policies because these insurance policies are so much more efficient than my cash, the checking accounts that I have. So now I'll get to that position. Right. And then I I'm like, Oh, well then I'm just going to take policy loans for everything that comes up. And then I'm challenged by 1% loan rates on things that I could buy. Like, wait a second, what do I do now? Right? Because the opportunity cost continues to exist at every decision. And what EVA is, is constantly hitting us in the face with is just make that evaluation. You know, and I'm not making this example, but this is just an idea I've heard, and you probably have heard this repeated, that the, the difference between, you know, a rich guy and a poor guy is that the rich guy decides not to spend $5 every day at Starbucks. Now, that's a bad example in the fact that I love to spend money, you know, but I also <laughs> figure out ways to get other dollars to pay for that. But the concept was the person's making a decision of what to do with their money and not to do with it. And that's an evaluation that we always have to make. Well, I, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this idea is just even just coming from our freedom seekers class uh russ and i've been leading i feel like the more we talk about infinite banking and we apply just the, again the built-in eva structure of infinite banking it causes us to be so much more focused and dialed in on how to get to financial freedom as fast as possible because there's a cost to the capital to get us there so we now have to maximize and optimize everything. I mean, we don't have to, but to me, it, it, it charges you towards that. Like, okay, can I pay this debt off or should I buy this asset? And which one's gonna get me to financial freedom? And then there's a cost to that capital. So I have to compare that. Like, to me, it just, it brings it full circle and it makes us hopefully get to financial freedom that much faster and that's what fires me up about EVA and IBC and getting people there. Well, what I'm fired up about is getting into the inner circle and asking questions of those who are live with us right now. And again, you have an opportunity. If you're not already a member, you can go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash inner circle and join these sort of conversations, be able to ask these coaches any question uh, re regarding the topic of the day or any IBC related topic, as well as you get access to the other members inside of the inner circle. And you can talk, chat any, uh, you know, 24 seven about IBC, man. It's an opportunity that I don't believe exists out there. And this is an exclusive way for you to get the inside knowledge that you need to get closer to financial freedom. So as always, we appreciate you listening to our show. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. 
see you next episode.